Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So the NDAA passes the House of Representatives. It's going to Joe Biden's desk. It's going to be signed. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. And it passed by a huge number out of the House. 310 to 118, just like it passed with a huge number out of the Senate. The question is, no changes to Section 702, no conversation regarding abortion funding. Was this the win that Republicans were looking for when they made big changes to Speaker? Congressman Jim Banks joins me right now from the Indiana 3rd District, candidate for Senate in the state of Indiana. You were a yay vote on the NDAA. Talk to me about what you saw in this legislation that got your vote. Yeah, well, the defense bill, we pass it every year. I'm on the committee. I'm the only member from Indiana on the House or the Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, uh, The biggest pay raise for our troops in 20 years across the board, the modernization of our American military so that we have better, more sophisticated emerging technologies to fight and win wars against adversaries or enemies like like uh, like like the Chinese, like uh, Iran, North Korea, Russia, uh, the the, uh, the 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 bigger threats that we face on the horizon. So that that's why the, the also in the defense bill, Tony, a lot of really important provisions for Crane, which is a major military base in Indiana that is on the front lines of a lot of sophisticated emerging technologies, and a lot of provisions that are important for. Our major defense employers in Indiana, like Rolls-Royce and uh, up my way, uh, Ultra Electronics that make Sonobuies and Humvees and Elkhart. And a lot of we have we have we have tens of thousands of defense jobs in Indiana and they're growing because of of programs that are a part of this bill. So also on top of that, I, I led the fight on a lot of issues like banning critical race theory. This is the first bill that has ever been passed out of Congress that bans CRT from being pushed on our troops and kids on military bases. That's in the bill. Banning uh, pride flags and non-American flags on military bases. Um, uh, uh, we dismantle the DEI, the, 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 the woke bureaucracy at the Pentagon because of an amendment that I passed in the bill that, that caps their pay at a very low amount. There are lots of, lots of issues and other provisions that, that always that that I don't agree with in this bill, but my my uh, my ultimately I voted for it, Tony, because the good outweighed the bad, and we need to support our military when the world is turned upside down, and do what we can to project strength around the world, and that's what well, this you bill won't does. you won't get me to disagree with taking uh, wokeness out of the military. The military should not be an agent of social change, but there's been a lot of talk about whether or not the military should pay for abortions. That still seems to be part of the legislation one would argue could argue that the whole out mccarthy out and johnson in was uh, to be able to to hold the line on issues like that that issue did not have the line held uh is there a reason yeah this is an important issue to me too and in the in the house we we put a provision that blocked the abortion uh pay now the the ndaa doesn't authorize paying for abortion and the Hyde Amendment, it makes it illegal for the federal government to pay for abortion. So 
I actually think what the what the Pentagon is doing is illegal to begin with isn't to pay for the abortion, but to pay for troops to travel to a state that allows abortion. I fully oppose that. We had a we had a strong amendment in the House bill. It was taken out in the Senate. And at the end of the day, this is a this is administration policy. So uh, the only thing we could do was was do what we can to block it. But with a two seat Republican majority, a Democrat Senate, Democrat president who allows that policy to exist, it's going to take a Republican president to reverse that policy. And I'm, I'm fighting every day to make sure that we get a Republican back in the White House next November. And let's take the other big one. Section 702 remains for another four months. This is a conversation of warrantless uh, eavesdropping searches, if you will, uh, on foreign nationals. But sometimes American citizens get caught up in this. This has been the conversation of whether or not there are enough protections. And it remains. How do you explain that to the to the libertarian minded who have seen the abuse of FISA and of Section 702 by this government and by what many call the deep state? Yeah, this was disappointing, and I, 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 I strongly disagreed with Speaker Johnson at the last minute agreeing with Chuck Schumer to put this extension into the defense, defense bill. It doesn't belong there. I wish it would, they would have kept it out. But at the end of the day, Tony, the, the current FISA authorization has been the law for five years. And five years ago, President Trump signed this current version of FISA into law. So f- five years, we're, we're extending it for four months so that Chairman Jim Jordan of the Judiciary Committee can pass a new long-term five-year reform bill of FISA. So that's really important. That has to happen. Um, Otherwise, if you allow FISA to lapse, remember what what FISA does. FISA has been abused. It needs to be reformed. I fully support reforming it. But but if you allow it to lapse, you can't – then you stop the authorities that we have to track terrorists who are coming over our southern border or terrorists abroad who are planning attacks on the United States of America or on our bases abroad. So there are parts of FISA that are very important that you can't allow to lapse. At the same time, the next four months buys Jim Jordan, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, enough time to pass a long-term reform bill that would prevent prevent the abuses that we saw during the Trump administration. That, that, that's really important. That, that big vote will come in in four months when we have a chance to do that. Talking to Congressman Jim Banks from the Indiana 3rd District, uh, candidate for Senate in the state of Indiana, one of the big subjects in in the House has been uh, Ukraine and Ukraine funding and tying Ukraine funding to border funding. And, of course, the Democrats are infuriated. And Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, says it's a a, a non-starter. But Speaker Johnson has been clear. The border has to be funded before there's a conversation about Ukraine. How is that coming along? Well, uh, this is an area where I give the speaker, the new speaker, high marks. I mean, he's he's put uh, uh, Schumer Democrats on notice. We're not going to pass any uh, aid aid bill for Ukraine until we secure the border. And we're not talking about just throwing more money at the border policies of the Biden administration that are allows, allowing 12,000 illegals to cross every single day. Yesterday, 12,000 illegals came across our border. We're talking about H.R. 2, a strong bill that the House passed early on that resumes construction of the border wall, requires nationwide e-verified, ends catch and release. That's the most important uh, uh, policy that, that Trump stopped it. Biden allowed catch and release again. That's created the recipe for disaster 
at the border, more Border Patrol agents, and then stopping these NGOs or nonprofits who, who are part of orchestrating and coordinating illegal immigration. So that H.R. 2 is a strong bill. There will be no no aid pack. I'm not going to vote for any aid package for Ukraine that doesn't include H.R. 2 or stronger border provisions. And that's that's the widespread widespread uh, position of House Republicans. So let me interrupt you really quickly, sir. Let me just jump in here because you talk about the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations, and I know we're going to run late, but I'm good with that, um, who are teaching people crossing the border how to break the law. We're seeing – we've been talking about it here for years. We're seeing actual physical evidence of it reported by Bill Malugan of Fox News and others. Describe what you mean. Yeah, I mean, these, uh, these, these charities, these nonprofits, I mean, they, they will go down and, and actually – participate in the illegal crossing and then then coordinate uh where these illegals go from there and 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 work with them all through the process it's it's insane that we allow that to happen but the biden administration actually promotes it and works with with catholic charities and other other organizations that are a part of that process we have to crack down on it again the policies in the trump administration deterred illegals from coming across the border so that's why you had fewer crossings because these types of activities weren't rewarded and coordinated and allowed to happen. Um, catch and release went away. And then the remaining illegals knew if they got caught, they're going to be sent back to Mexico. So that deterred them from crossing to begin with. And, and we got to go back to those policies. I'm not supporting any more money for Ukraine until we incorporate those type of tough uh, border policies that will secure our border and stop this madness and save our country. And that's where House Republicans, by and large, stand on this subject while Schumer and the Democrats and some squishy Republicans in the Senate are talking about more aid for Ukraine, House Republicans remain resolved to to block those provisions. And it's a conversation I'd like to get into further. We'll save it for another time. Before I let you go, Congressman, uh, the impeachment inquiry has been formalized. You have Hunter Biden giving this press conference in front of the Capitol, but not showing up for uh, the hearing where he was uh, subpoenaed. He's standing next to Congressman Eric Swalwell. Now there's a conversation whether or not Swalwell should be found uh, in in any type of of guilt for actually helping somebody avoid a congressional subpoena. Is impeachment of Joe Biden coming to a theater near you? I hope so. I I fully support it. I've supported it for a good reason for for a very long time. You had every single House Republican vote for the impeachment inquiry. You have a handful of House Republicans who aren't there yet on impeachment. And Tony, when we go into the new year with Kevin McCarthy quitting, with another congressman quitting to go be president of a college in Ohio, um, with George Santos gone, um, you're, you've, we've dwindled this House Republican majority from, from a slim five-seat majority now to a one- or two-seat majority. So, you, you do the math, and you, if there are a half a dozen Republicans who don't support impeachment yet, the votes aren't there. But, the, but those same Republicans did vote for the impeachment inquiry. So hopefully the investigations, the subpoenas, the, let the facts speak for themselves. I hope we get to a point where Democrats come around and realize that their hypocrisy and what they impeached uh, uh, Donald Trump for supposedly doing is exactly in broad daylight what Joe Biden has gotten away with. And uh, th- those same uh, Democrats should be put to the test to see if they will, they will invoke well, they will vote to impeach the most corrupt president in American history and Joe Biden. Now, that's a statement right there. Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us.
I, I must again remind, impeachment is a political decision. And going into an election year, a presidential election year, one has to ask whether it hurts or whether it helps the cause. That is a consideration. The fact that you and I could sit on a bar stool, have a bourbon, and think that it shouldn't be is secondary to the reality that it is. Well, this is about whether or not a president committed high crimes or misdemeanors. This is about the country. That's what we have to be focused on. I agree. But we're not going to pretend we don't live in the real world, the real political world, and the politics matter. If they believe that it will hurt them, if it will hurt them politically in an election campaign to get Biden out of office, even though it might not be Biden who's the nominee, you know what I mean, they might not go forward. That's why I keep saying I'm 50-50. But it is very obvious that they are taking this seriously. And it was an interesting piece from Charles C.W. Cook over at National Review. And I like Charles uh, quite, a, quite a bit. Uh, I think he's a, a solid mind. And I don't agree with everything they write over there by any stretch. Part of the reason I read it is that I sometimes read things that I don't agree with so I can understand where at least they're coming from. And Charles did a, a more of a 180 than I did, um, but in the same concept. Here you have the Republican Party talking about impeachment. Don't move until you see it. Don't move until you have it. Take your time. Go slow. But when you watch the total insanity of the left in not admitting that Joe Biden did anything wrong, you want to tell us that he never spoke to his son uh, about his, his overseas business dealings. But yes, he did. I mean, yes, he did. You know it. I know it. We know it. He admits it. We all know it. So why in the world would you keep telling us that something didn't happen when, of course, it happened? Why would you say uh, that I have never talked to my son or my brother or anyone else in the distant family about their business interests, period? He said that in 2019, but he had. Why would he say, quote, my son has not made money in terms of things about what you are talking about, China. He said that in 2020. But the records show that Hunter Biden, his firm at least, got $11 million there. They keep saying there's no there there when there is something there and it is clear to, the, to at least to the extent of what I brought up that Joe Biden's lying. Why should I trust him now when he says this is all lies, this is all nonsense, this is all nothing? And so for Charles, he's like, okay, uh, you know what? I'm going the other way with this. Move towards impeachment as quickly as you like because this is messed up. I agree with that. And I still believe in going a little slow. Have it complete. I'm not opposed to impeachment. Again, a political decision. I'm opposed to not having all the ducks in a row. Now, sometimes you're like, hey, you just do the best you can. I agree, but do the best that you can. But the idea that, first of all, the idea that Hunter Biden, woe is me, I don't buy into any of that. That press conference, oh, they're just after me. Oh, and they just hate it because my father loves me so much. 
Your father's love is the problem. It blinds him. You are a shady dude. And Joe Biden, very clearly in my view, was involved. Get the ducks in a row. And if you got it, then we could talk about the impeachment going forward. My thanks to Congressman Jim Banks. This is Tony Katz today. Well, I didn't think there was any question that New York's 3rd District wasn't going to go this way. Mazi Melissa Pilip, P-I-L-I-P, I think I'm pronouncing it right. This is who Republicans have chosen to replace George Santos. It will be a special election. Of course, Santos was expelled from the House, rightly or wrongly, uh, a freak, but rightly or wrongly on that. She's going to face off against a guy by the name of Tom Swozzi, S-U-O-Z-Z-I, former Democratic congressman. He used to represent this area. The story of Pilip, or it could be Pilip, she moved to Israel from Ethiopia when she was a child as part of something called Operation Solomon, which was an Israeli military operation airlifting thousands of Ethiopian Jews to the country. And then she served as a paratrooper in the Israeli Defense Forces. She's a story. Now, There's also a story, according to Politico, that she was enrolled as a member of the Democratic Party since 2012 when it comes to the Board of Elections. But she ran on the Republican ballot in both her 2021 and 2023 races running for uh, other other offices. I I mean, this was the pick I thought they were going to make. This is going to be a fascinating race. It's going to take place, uh, so 90 days. So sometime in beginning of March? Beginning of March is going to take place? Going to be fascinating in the backdrop of the Hamas attack on Israel in the backdrop of of Joe Biden's anti-semitic America Joe Biden's anti-semitic America this is Oakland where a menorah was destroyed and thrown into Lake Merritt one of those big menorahs they have uh, set up it was there on the amphitheater Joe Biden's America allows for open Jew hatred. You couldn't do this with any other group. Well, you could do it with Christians. They, they could destroy a cross and throw it a lake. That's Christians and Jews, you couldn't do this with any other group. I've got 13-year-olds who developed plans for attacking synagogues to kill those within. That's a true story, by the way. A 13-year-old, as reported by BearingArms.com, reportedly planning a synagogue shooting. Joe Biden's America. Never mind uh, the Jew-hating uh, college presidents uh, like like Claudine Gay, uh, the former president, Liz McGill. Uh, I'm even going to say Sally Kornbluth. What? You're not willing to stand up to calls for genocide on your campus? What am I supposed to call you? Friends? That, that dog won't hunt. My gosh, campuses everywhere that engage this bigotry. You just heard the conversation that we had regarding Tony Kinnett and what's happening at Butler University. If you complain about the students screaming for genocide of Jews, well, then we investigate you because you're the one inciting the violence. That's uh, a crazy, crazy story. Check the podcast for my conversation with Tony Kinnett of The Daily Signal. Joe Biden's America. They told me uh, Trump's America was so terrible, so horrible. Everybody hated each other. This is Joe Biden's America. Open Jew hatred. And for the Jews and non-Jews alike, buy guns, buy ammo, and get trained. And do that today, won't you? That'd be great for all of us. This is Tony Katz today.
When talking about the border, I think one of the most fascinating conversations is that somehow everybody of a certain group all agrees all in the same way. Certainly, we see how the progressive left likes to pitch the idea that they're on the side of people who are Hispanic, or maybe they'll call them Latino. Lord only knows what name they'll come up for them next. Remember Latinx and all that madness? But no one ever asks if the people who are coming to America are on the side of the progressive left. And there are groups in the U.S. that are trying to work, deal with this immigration issue, which is an issue. It's, the southern border is the biggest issue in America. But come at it from a, the way they're phrasing it, the way they're placing it, the way they're spinning it, isn't the reality. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Jose Malaya joins me now for Border Week, presented by Americans for Prosperity. Uh, he is the CEO of the Libre Initiative, which is, is this group that's, that's trying to come at it from, from a different angle. Still the idea of you want the market reform, still the idea that you need the safety and the security of the United States, but these people coming across, why are we thinking that the progressive left is actually speaking for them? So I start with, with a baseline. Tell me about the Libre Initiative. Yeah, so the Libre Initiative is an organization that's educating the Latino community on a national level on the principles of economic freedom, first and foremost, right? That's what we that's what we do. We we engage the community directly across the country and we present programs to help them to understand what economic freedom is, what we mean when we say that and how that impacts their lives. And most of the time, if not every time, people that have never heard that message before, they immediately come up to us and say, that is exactly why I came to America. That is exactly the message that I've been looking for. What is what is the message? Elevator pitch that for me, if you would. Yeah. So, you know, if I were talking to a constituent, I'm like, I, I would tell them, hey, I'm with the, I'm Jose Maya. I'm the CEO of the Libre Initiative. And we're here today to talk to you about why it's important to fight for the values that make America so special. Why it is that you came to this country seeking opportunity for you and your family. And that system that has been in place for such a long time has has been eroded by some of the legislation that our leaders have been promoting. And what is that system? The ability to start your own business out of the the, the garage in your home, the ability for you to, you know, find uh, uh, your maximum potential and and reach uh, your potential and your family's potential uh, by working hard and by doing the right things in this country, you, you'll get ahead. And I think that's what most Latino families want for themselves and for their children. And, you know, just to talk about another issue, educational choice, that's a big one. That's that's one of those issues that is sort of 60 plus percent across the board. People want good educational options for their children. And so these are issues that we talk about and it resonates it's and people immediately connect with us. It's it's always interesting that in the economic conversation that we have, it, and no matter where I am, it, it pivots back to school choice constantly, consistently. I mean, yeah. that is not the focus of our conversation. Yeah. But every single time in, in almost like clockwork, it comes back to, to, to that conversation. Any reason? You know, it's because at the end of the day that when we talk to people, we're, we're focusing on what are the barriers that we need to remove in order for people to reach their full potential. And that's what Libra tries to do. Well, one, sometimes it's, you know, they don't speak English. So we offer English education for people and teach them about the principles and the values through that, those courses. Sometimes we teach them uh, driver's license courses. But when we really mm -hmm. get down to it and we start talking to families, they tell us right away. I need to provide the best chances for my kids. I sacrifice my dreams by leaving my country to come here and do whatever it takes to get ahead. 
for myself and my family, but I want my children to have the, to have those opportunities. And so you start talking about education at that point. What is it going to take? Well, we, we, we got to get them out of these failing schools, especially if they're in these urban communities where the system has let them down and give them the, the flexibility to go wherever it makes the most sense for them and their family. Talking to Jose Maya, he is the CEO of the Libre uh, an initiative. Uh, we have been focusing, of course, on, on the border and, and why people come to the United States in, in the first place, conversations about what border security is, policy around that, what the wall is, all the misconceptions uh, about the wall. But certainly in, in people coming to the United States, you know, we, we constantly hear their refrain, not everybody is trying to do us harm. And, and I think the vast majority of Americans agree with that. They still want sensible policies, but they agree with the fact that many people are just coming for the better life. And we as a nation have no issue with legal immigration. But you talked about uh, sacrificing their dreams. We don't usually hear that conversation. Yeah. It's about having the better dream here. How often do you hear about people in, in Yeah, and I'll give you an example, right? And, and I think that's kind of, uh, for example, a choice that sometimes isn't made for you I grew up in a community surrounded by Cuban exiles. And, you know, my, my dad exiled from Cuba here in the late 50s, came from a poor family in Cuba, but still, you know, whatever aspirations he had in Cuba, they, they were gone the minute that the communist regime took over. Uh, and countless people around the world have had to suffer through this. So at that point, you got to make a choice. It's like I either stay in the system or, 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 I, or I go to America, uh, which, thank God, America was 90 miles away from, from Cuba, where they could have these opportunities to make a life for themselves and then have a family and make and, and, and provide better opportunities for their children. But there are folks who sometimes are in countries like Venezuela who are going through this transition, you know, uh, and, and they give up being a, an engineer, an attorney and a doctor to come to America to drive an Uber. But guess what? They would rather be here driving that Uber than in a system that takes away their rights, takes away their ability to, to get ahead, takes away their property. Right. And, and stifle speech and all the things that we see happen in these socialist regimes. Uh, but the same thing happens even in countries that aren't necessarily uh, declared communist or socialist. Right. Uh, you just reach a ceiling and you realize that your full potential can be achieved there. So you're better. You, you make the decision willingly to, to abandon that and come here and start over. And sometimes you don't get to go back to being a doctor, but you're happier doing whatever work you do, earning your success here in America and providing a better life for your family. The, the other side uh, that, that we often hear is that and, and we see is that a, a level of of ungratefulness. Uh, but very often we see that more on a political uh, side from uh, the progressive left than maybe people coming across the border. But our conversation today is about economics. Yeah, it's about what what is the impact of border policy? What is the impact of uh, illegal immigration. We can discuss the legal side. We have jobs. We do want to get them filled. That is a rational thing that's been going on for years. And there has to be a way to provide and supply for that. But there is another side of, of, of cost here. So depending on how you want to go about it, yeah. maybe you want to hit it in a more round robin, what have you, Jose. Um, talk to me about how a Libre initiative talks about the economic cost of immigration, yeah. both legal and illegal. So look, there, there's a lot of, like you said, there's so much we could talk about. I think on a higher level, yeah, we need to find a way to fix the broken immigration system, which unfortunately I feel like it incentivizes illegal behavior instead of coming here through legal pathways. And that's what we always advocate for these legal pathways. Some of the things you just mentioned, the fact that we have shortages in certain key high skilled areas, whether it's nurses or or certain doctors in rural communities and so on. And we can't fill those jobs, but those jobs are there and there are talented people all over the world that are certified and qualified that want to do that work. 
that's a problem, right? Whether it's, you know, uh, we train engineers here that then leave our country and become the best, uh, you know, uh, contributors to economies in other parts of the world when they should be doing it here. So I think that's a big problem. But the illegal issue, uh, uh, the issue of illegal immigration is it's a huge uh, quality of life issue in, in border communities that we hear from uh, families. Like So we we are very well established in Texas, for example, also in New Mexico, Arizona, and so on. But in Texas, we hear from families that tell us, listen, I've been in this country 30 years. I came here. I follow the rules. I'm a citizen. I worked hard. I'm doing the right thing. I bought my home. And my community now is a disaster because our federal government can't get the system under control. They don't want that for themselves. It, it creates hardship and danger and all sorts of problems in these communities that are a serious issue. And on top of that, there is a fiscal uh, connection to that, right? Whether it's local right. services, federal, et cetera. So that's one. I think the other one is that by having this uh, just open like chaos, um, it also people who come here, they come here leaving places that are chaotic. They come here leaving places where people don't follow the rules and they come here because they want to live under the structure that America provides. When you allow this other uh, dynamic to take hold, it just promotes more chaos. And I think that's inc incredibly discouraging to those that follow the rules, but it also doesn't serve the individuals that are coming over that way well at all, right? Because yeah, they're, they're not getting that that true, uh, you know, uh, message delivered to them of why it's important for us to continue to follow these rules in order for America to continue to be special for many generations to come. The, the whole concept of standards uh, is is not that a standard is limiting, but actually a standard sets you free. You know the rules, everybody is following them, and you know how to operate and engage. It's when you have the elimination of standards and nobody knows how to operate that a ruling class or a, a ruling group, a mob mentality could take hold, saying you didn't listen to the rules and you didn't know what the rules were to begin with. Talking to Jose Maia, he is the CEO of the Libre uh, Initiative. So in the in this cost conversation, there is the cost to the American taxpayer, what it is that we're paying to seemingly allow illegal immigration uh, to take place. Uh, is it the, the position of, of Libre uh, that these, these costs should not be borne by us and therefore a streamlining of, of immigration policy should happen? Or that there are indeed some costs we should as a nation undertake because there's actually a better value that comes on the other side? Yeah, the crazy thing about it, and and I'm 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 I'm, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a very logical argument for those of us that see this happening, is that the cost of illegal immigration are probably greater than if you were to make the right investments on border security, on you know fixing a system that's been antiquated and hasn't had any real reforms since the 1930s, and so I think like so many things that our government does when it tries to overregulate, overadminister, overmanage. Uh, over control, it, it doesn't it doesn't work. In fact, it breaks it, and that's what we're seeing, right? And because there has been a lot of investment in this space, but it's not working. So I think the the economic impact of the things we talked about, the fiscal impact of the services, and all the things that they're doing wrong, is going to far exceed the actual investment that could have been made to fix it. And and that is a logical as a, as a business owner myself that like if I was running a company and this was the outcome, I would quickly find a way to change it. And I just feel like that is what we need our leaders to, to, to understand and Americans to understand. Because I think it, it, at, the, at the end of the day, it's us, right? We have the power. We're the ones that need to advocate for these uh, changes to take place for the benefit of all our communities. But so let's take it now to a very, very uh, base level, how it's viewed 
of Buy America down to some some pretty uh, brass tacks here. What you hear is that the political left says um, we, we shouldn't be stopping people at the border. We should be making sure they get this service. We should be making sure that they get uh, this uh, accommodation. And there's this unlimited amount of money. Then you hear from the political uh, right that says we have veterans who are homeless and they, we have to be taking care of Americans first. You discuss Libre Initiative as reaching out to uh, Hispanic community, to 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 Americans who uh, either come from uh, Central or Southern America, came to to America, become citizens, or on that path, uh, or those who have some level of descent, some level of connection. Yeah. Where are the when you have this conversation with them about the cost structure? Is is it this massive hurdle to overcome because uh, the perception is the people who are who are of of or who are Hispanic are overwhelmingly left, or is it a conversation that allows you to enter the door where they're like, well, yeah, that is a lot of money. Yeah. So uh, look, I, I think there has been a, a a perception for a long time that you know, Hispanic voters tend to vote left only. And I think we are rapidly seeing that disintegrate. We've seen it at least over the last 10 years. But I'll go back to the, the, the even the 2000 campaign when President George W. Bush had a 34, 35% uh, Latino vote. There are places where that vote, and we saw it recently in some polling that was done, has is getting close to 50% in a generic ballot for Republican candidates in places that Republicans traditionally didn't do as well as they could potentially do in upcoming elections. And that's part of the work that we're doing is that we're telling Latino voters, hey, listen, you need to make the decision that's best for your family based on these values. If you really believe that these are the values that you care about and that you want to defend. And it doesn't matter the ethnicity of the individual. You know, they could come from the same place that you came from. But if they're doing things that are contrary to what's best for your family, you need to take that into account and vote for somebody else. Um, And it doesn't matter what you hear, the rhetoric. you got to educate yourself and inform yourself. So that's what we're trying to do. I do think that that movement is happening because there is an align there is there is an alignment with the people that come here wanting to protect freedom opportunity and wanting to get ahead in life. Now, what you were saying is true. The progressive left is hammering these other statements and hammering these other messages and saying they don't care about you, they hate you, and all they want to do is you know put you in in whatever incarcerate you when you come across the border, all these other things, or or yelling at the top of their lungs. We need more benefits. We need more of this. I still to this day, and I I live in Miami very dynamic, very immigrant community. And I've traveled the country for Libre and I lived in New York City as a kid. I have never met one immigrant that has told me I came to America looking for benefits. I always meet people that tell me I came to America looking for opportunity. And if I, what I would tell someone that ever told me, hey, I came to America looking for benefits. I'm like, well, you came to the wrong place. You need to get on an airplane and fly to Spain. Because if you land in Spain, and, and, you know, the European system, they'll gladly give you all the benefits you want. But there'll be a limit to how far you could get ahead in life. in in that country. Right. Uh, And I have family there and and we have this conversation all the time. But I think here most Hispanics, Hispanic voters, but just Hispanic families don't want handouts. They don't want the the, and they don't want to see this. What's happening, for example, in New York City and so on. And funny enough, the progressive left, you couldn't get more progressive than 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 the government of New York City. Uh, And now they're the ones that are saying, hey, enough. Hey, this is a disaster. Uh, You know, but we've been let down by the federal government and they are right. But at the same time, they are the ones who have created these problems by creating these perverse incentives uh, that you're sort of guaranteed a right to housing. The minute you arrive, that is that is the worst thing you could do for someone. And frankly, it's unsustainable. And that system is starting to collapse in those cities. So we need to get in front of this quickly 
and make sure that we're addressing the chronic problem that is border security before we could then get to addressing some sort of solutions to the legal system, right? Which is what, what I think eventually starts to solve a lot of these issues. Jose Malaya, CEO of the Libre Initiative. The border is multifaceted. It is not one size fits all. But it has to start with American safety and security and American needs. And from there, man, we could do a lot. And we're going to need to. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz Today. Big breaking news. They've recalled Coke. No, 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 Coca-Cola, Coca, Coca-Cola, remain, remain calm, everybody. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Yeah, so there's been this slight recall right now, 2,000 Diet Coke, Sprite, and Fanta cases due to possible contamination. The recall began on November 6th, was initiated by a group called United Packers based in Mobile, Alabama. I, I honestly don't know how the foreign contaminants can get into the cans. I don't quite understand how that works. Alabama, Mississippi, and Florida. So if you know anybody in those states, uh, be on on the lookout. Mostly Sprite, uh, 400 plus cases of Diet Coke, only 14 cases of Fanta Orange, which is good because Fanta Orange is amazing. Um, Just to be aware and just be careful. Um, uh, They say the recall is complete, but always have your friends double check. This is Tony Katz today.